are continuing our series through the book of Matthew. So this is message number 33, entitled Kingdom Parables. And we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 13. We'll be reading uh, or looking at verses 24 through 43. And uh, to begin, I'm going to read verses 34 and 35. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So chapter 13 begins the next large section of teaching in Matthew's gospel. And this teaching section follows after the rejection of Jesus as Christ by Israel in the last couple of chapters, chapters 11 and 12 in particular. Um, we see the opposition and the hostility uh, increasing, and that just continues all the way up into the crucifixion, which um, according to the Previous chapters, the Pharisees and, and many of the leaders of the Jews are already plotting um, by this time. So these parables explain the opposition and the rejection of Jesus and his kingdom. And this comes out clearly in the first parable, which is the parable of the sower. Um, the parable functions as uh, an introduction to the parables um, John and Jesus and his apostles have spread the message of the kingdom over Israel. Um, they, there is, uh, according to this parable, satanic opposition. Uh, Jesus uh, talks of persecutions and afflictions. And really most of Israel has rejected the word of the kingdom, but there have been some that have believed. And again, all of this reflected in this parable that Jesus gave. Now, verses 10 to 17 here in chapter 13 are absolutely crucial um, if we are to understand the parables because in that section or that passage, Jesus explained why he spoke in parables, why he spoke in particular to the crowds of Israel in parables. So what we've learned as we have started out already in, in Matthew 13, is that parables are not just nice little homely stories of general religious truths. That's not what parables are. Parables are specific revelation of the kingdom and especially of the mystery of the kingdom being that the kingdom would not come with Jesus' first coming but with his Second coming. Parables were given to specifically reveal these kingdom truths to his apostles and to conceal them from that generation of Israel. And Jesus explains this here in chapter number 13. This is also quite clear from Matthew's use of Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 9 to 10. He quotes from the Isaiah passage and the fact of it being fulfilled in that generation of Israel to whom Jesus came, which rejected him. So because they had heard 
um, and um, believed, this is um, speaking of the, uh, those of the apostles and like them, those that had, that had heard and believed and repented, they had more and more would be given to them, more understanding about the kingdom. But because that generation of Israel that had heard and not believed and had not repented, which again has um, continued to be emphasized through the last couple of chapters, they were those that had not and would lose even what they had. And what they had was the promise and the expectation of the Messiah and his kingdom, but they were not going to see it. Now, parables, again, as we look here in, in, in Matthew 13, parables are not giving commands or instructions for things to be done. Jesus didn't give the parable of the sower to tell his apostles to go out and sow the seed. Parables are given for um, specific revelation of the kingdom. So again, he's explaining the rejection and the reception of the message of the kingdom. Now, the parable of the sower also introduces certain themes that do continue throughout the parables that reveal the mystery of the kingdom. Things like opposition uh, and rejection in this age. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a time concept involved, a, a, a delay or a postponement, um, a, a time of waiting. Then there's a, a harvest or a victory. There's the, the outcome and the coming of the kingdom. And that is thematic as you look throughout these parables. Now, as we're going to proceed, just, just want to recall the way that, that chapter 13 is put together. So there are eight parables. There are four explanations. There are two audiences. And there's a related concluding incident at Nazareth. Now, the parable of the sower is the first one, and it, it introduces the parables. Then there are six parables that come between that and, and the concluding parable at the end. Not, that all makes up the eight. So these six parables, um, they all begin with some form of the kingdom of the heavens is like. Um, the audiences were the large crowds out, outside by the Sea of Galilee, which included the apostles. And the second audience was the apostles themselves privately in the house. So this outside crowds, they heard Jesus give four parables, at, at least in this account, and they received no explanations of the parables at all. They just heard Jesus give the parables. Now, the apostles heard all those parables that Jesus gave to the crowds, but then they also heard four more that he gave to them privately, and they also heard four explanations of parables. Now, when you look at the parallel account in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 4 and verse 34, Mark makes a, makes a note there that Jesus did expound or explain all the parables to his apostles. All that explanation is just not recorded for us, but that he did explain them all to his apostles. So that means that where we are then is the beginning of this section of the six parables. And that's, again, you have an introductory parable, a conclusory parable, and then you've got these six parables in the middle. And, and that's where we are, the beginning of these six parables. So verses 24 to 43 that we are looking at, have uh, these verses have three parables 
that are spoken to the crowd. And then there's one explanation of a parable that's given privately to the disciples. And then we also have another fulfillment passage, which is similar to what we saw previously with the quotation from Isaiah. And this again pertains to Jesus' use of parables as he was speaking to the crowds. So this particular section has the parables of the wheat and the tares, uh, the parables of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. Now the mustard seed and the leaven parables that are given here are not explained, um, but they are understandable in context um, that they are given to specifically reveal the mysteries of the kingdom. And so we will, we will look at those. So we want to take this in two parts, verses 24 to 33, which gives us um, the, the three parables that, that we're covering in this section. And in verses 34 to 43, where Jesus explains the parable of the wheat and tares. So we're going to begin with the first part. This is going to begin in, in verse 24, and we have the three parables um, that are given. So be, beginning with verse number 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. So after the private explanation of the parable of the sower, and that's what was in the previous verses to this verse, uh, Matthew returns to Jesus speaking to the crowds in parables. Now again, um, you remember the setting that Jesus is in a boat and he is floating just off of the shore there in the Sea of Galilee, and you have crowds of people that are along the shore, and he's sitting in this boat, and he's speaking to them, and he's giving them these parables. Now, when he's done speaking to the crowds, he will go into the house with his disciples, and then he will speak privately to them. So this explanation of the parable of the sower did not come chronologically immediately after Jesus gave out the parable, but actually later when Jesus was in the house. But Matthew moves that explanation up. And again, as we, we looked at that, I believe one of the good reasons for that is, is so that we understand um, this whole entire section of teaching because it, it, it is meant to be read and understood together. And so I think Matthew does that to give us um, really some of the tools that we need um, to work through these parables and understand what they're teaching. So now we've, we've come back to Jesus in the boat and, and the crowds all along the shores, and we've come to another parable that he is speaking to them. And, and you notice he begins by saying the kingdom of heaven. We've also talked about how um, in the, in the uh, Greek there that this is the plural, it's the kingdom of the heavens that, that he's saying the kingdom of the heavens, and we talked about that last time as well. But he begins by saying the kingdom of the heavens is like, and then he gives this parable. So this is a comparative parable, and it reveals that the parable reveals something about the kingdom. That's, of course, vitally important if we're going to understand what this parable is about and what it means. Now, this particular parable, the wheat and the tares, I'm not going to have a lot of comments about about it as we go through because we're going to get an explanation section um, when we get to the end of the passage, but we do want to, to go through it and just note a few things. Verse 25, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, one of the things you're going to notice as you read through this parable is that there are several elements to it. Um, you've, you've got this landowner 
um, you've got the good seed. He sows it in a field. The men, which means his servants, have um, slept. There's an enemy that comes and sows tares um, among the wheat. And, and, and we go on, and there's you know, reapers later that are mentioned and, and other things. So there's several elements in this parable. But that doesn't mean that every little detail of the parable symbolizes or represents something. And parables are oftentimes taught that way, but it doesn't mean that. And, and you, this is a good example because when you get down to the explanation, these men, these servants that, that he talks about, they're the ones that um, they slept and then later they asked the landowner about the tares when, when they sprung up. Um, well, what do these men or these servants of the landowner represent? Nothing. They represent nothing. In the explanation of the parable later in the text, they're not given any significance to the meaning of the parable at all. Now, what, but what does it matter that they slept? And I mean, isn't that talking about that, you know, we're not being on guard and on watch and Satan is, is doing this, this, that, and the other thing? Again, it's not representative of a lack of watchfulness. The sleeping does have some importance, but not in that way. What does it indicate to us? It indicates, again, a time reference. There's a, there's a delay of time. This, this parable, obviously, what happens takes place over a span of time. It's not immediate. And again, that's thematic, the mystery of the kingdom, that's thematic going through these parables. And every one of these parables have that aspect to it. It's, it's there. If you, if you just read it and think about it and you look for, look for, for time sort of, of indicators, you're going to find it in every one of these parables. And so that's what we get here. Now, the, the work of the enemy is essentially, the point there is, is simply that it's, it's hidden or it's, or it's unknown until the crop grows, which, which again is much later. Verse 26, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the tares are revealed at this point. Now, as I understand this, this would, would have referred to a type of weed uh, similar to the wheat. And basically, not you couldn't distinguish really between them until they got to um, maturity. Verse 27, so the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence hath it tares? Now, th this is the question that they're asking, which sets up the, the next part of the parable. The, verse 28, and he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? And so this is, a, again, it's a response. It's an interaction between the landowner and the servants, and it's, it's setting up the conclusion of this parable, which we get here in verses 29 and 30. But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So essentially um, telling them to wait until the time of the harvest. And again, we'll get to the explanation of this parable um, a little later in this passage. So let's go ahead to verse number 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, 
It is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, the, the next two parables that are given, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, and there's no explanation given in the text for these particular parables. Now, what he refers to a mustard seed and calls it the, the, uh, the least or the smallest of, of all seeds. And the, the, and the point here is not some sort of, of, of um, you know, biological statement or botanical statement or wh- whatever that would apply to. It, the mustard seed was proverbial in Israel for its smallness. It is a very tiny seed. Um, it, was the, it was most likely the smallest seed that was known to them, at, at least for a time. And so it was a seed that could be easily missed. It could be easily overlooked. And as a, as a seed, it doesn't look like much. It's just very small. But once the, the seed has been planted and it grows to maturity, it becomes a, a sort of a, a shrub or, or bush that can be... Um, up to 10 feet tall and, and maybe even taller in some cases, depending on the conditions and such. But, it, but it's large enough to support birds nesting in it. Now, obviously, a small plant is not going to be able to do this. It's just not going to have the structural integrity um, for birds to be able to, to nest in it. But it's, this, this plant grows large enough that birds can nest in it. And he says that it becomes the greatest of the herbs, which essentially means that of, of that class of, of herbs that it would belong to, it, it leads to the biggest plant, this shrub or, or bush or whatever you want to call it. And so that's, that's the, the substance of the parable. It's, it's sown, it grows, and, and, it, and, and when it's mature, um, it comes to a full size and, and the birds um, can build nests in it. All right, so what does the parable mean? And again, the explanation is not given to us in the text. This is why we have to use everything else that is given to us in this chapter in order to understand this parable. Well, the word of the kingdom. Now, we've, we've already noticed that back with the parable of the sower. The word of the kingdom that, that's being referred to in these parables in general. The word of the kingdom is the offer of the kingdom to Israel. And again, John came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After him, Jesus had sent out his apostles to go to all the cities of Israel and to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the the message, the word of the kingdom that they have preached to Israel. And it constitutes essentially the offer of the kingdom to Israel. And it's like this tiny seed that, that can seem so insignificant and so small that it's easily missed or easily overlooked. Now, Old Testament prophets also used trees to symbolize a kingdom. And in each of those cases, the birds in the trees to symbolize those nations that were under the rule of the greater kingdom. All right, so the one instance would be in, in Daniel chapter number four with Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and the Babylonian kingdom. And, you know, he's that great head of gold in that statue that he saw. But, it's, but he also has that vision of, that, of the tree. And those birds in the air are the nations that they have subjected under them. 
Now, we do have a more, even more pertinent um, reference to this being used, and that would be in Ezekiel's prophecy, because Ezekiel uses this um, image of a tree of the kingdom of Israel when they are gathered and when they are restored. And the birds of it, that lodge in the tree are the nations of the earth subjected to the Messianic kingdom. Now, that's in uh, Ezekiel chapter 17, and, and uh, there's larger context there, but verse 23 uh, mentions the tree, and chapter 31 and verse number 6, two different places um, where Ezekiel speaks of that. So I think there's, there's, there's good reason. Jesus has already said the kingdom of, of the heavens is like. So there's good reason for us to understand this in the very same way. Now, since the, the kingdom had not come, and the word of it was like that tiny mustard seed that seemed so small and so insignificant and so easy to overlook, that's exactly what that generation of Israel did in rejecting John, Jesus, and his apostles. But to those who received it, the kingdom is the greatest of kingdoms, and when it comes, it will be over all nations of the earth. Let's go on to the next. In verse number 33, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now, the third parable is the leaven in the, the, uh, the dough or the, the loaf of, of bread. Now, this is obviously a very brief parable, um, but it is connected with the others, and, and we can see that in the context. Now, the parable itself, leaven, that's referred to here, refers to a, a little lump of fermented dough that would be kept from previous baking for this very purpose. It was added to the flour um, and, and the water, and it's, it's kneaded together. And since it was leavened, it would rise and be baked. And that was the reason why it was added. Now, once that leaven, once that little lump was added to the dough, it would spread throughout that dough until all of it was leavened. So once it was added... The process was started, and it couldn't be stopped. It couldn't, couldn't be reversed. Like there, there, you couldn't add this, knead it all together, and then take the leaven out. It didn't, it didn't work that way. So, what does it mean? Well, again, these parables, remember... They are given to specifically reveal the mysteries of the kingdom, which centers around the delay or the postponing of the kingdom and the intervening age between the first and the second comings of Jesus Christ. So we see that time element here once again. The leaven is added, and the whole is not immediately leavened. There's some time that passes before the whole, whole is leavened and, and, and it's ready to bake and so on. Now, this parable will contribute a little more to our sort of our grand conclusion um, that we come to later, and so we'll have a little more then. Now, as we go to the, to the next part, beginning with verse number 34, and this is where we get 
the parable of the wheat and the tares explained. And we're going, we're going to see again, there's a, there's a consistency here of, of the message that is being given. And, and also, it, this explanation is going to confirm um, what has just been said about uh, the mustard seed and the leaven as well. So let's begin here with verse number 34. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them. So here at this point you notice that Matthew is sort of broken in to this narration that, he, that he's giving us. Just like he did previously with the Isaiah quote. He's breaking into it and he's giving here what you might call an, an editorial um, comment. And he's emphasizing how at this point that Jesus only spoke to the crowds in parables. He did not give them any explanations. Now, earlier Jesus had already explained the reason why he was doing that. Because to to the disciples, to the apostles that had been chosen, to them it was given to know the mystery of the kingdom, for it to be revealed to them. To the crowds of Israel that had rejected Jesus, it was not given, and so therefore he spoke only in parables to them, so that they were sort of left, you know, scratching their head. You know, what what, what was that all about? Um, you know, this. I mean, we have other examples of Jesus teaching and interacting with the crowd, and and now all of a sudden, this very um, cryptic and and riddling communication from Jesus. I mean, it had to have been confusing to them. Like, what is he talking about? He's you know, he's talking about trees and and planting seeds and and all this sort of thing, and it's just. You know, there, there's no explanation given. So at this point, he's spoken only in parables, and, and then we get this fulfillment in verse 35, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So Matthew explains that Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy in Psalm 78 and verse number 2. Now this psalm was written by Asaph. And it's, it's a long psalm that recounts different historical events with the nation of Israel. And this psalm presents a riddle. And it's why it starts out talking about the parables and the dark sayings and, and things. It, this psalm presents a riddle. And the the riddle is the question of why would God continue with Israel? Why would he not just destroy them and make a new Israel? And of course you have some references to Exodus and, and, and Moses and such. So that's the riddling question in this psalm. Why would God not just destroy Israel, be done with them and make a new Israel or a new people. Well, the riddle in the psalm, as you, as you study that psalm, it's a beautiful psalm, the riddle in the psalm is solved by the sending of the Davidic shepherd. So, God will not destroy Israel and make a new Israel, but rather he will keep all of his covenant promises and will save them by sending his shepherd. So the redemption of Israel is indicated 
by the presence of the shepherd. But Jesus is speaking to them in parables because that generation of Israel was hard-hearted and unbelieving and rejecting. And in fact, they were adding more to the evidence that was such a riddle in Psalm um, 78 because they have rejected him. Well, the kingdom, notice, notice what it says. I will speak to them in parables, or I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So that tells us that as Jesus is fulfilling this, he's revealing something through these parables that has not been known. It's not been made known before. It has been kept hidden or secret or concealed. In other words, a mystery. So the kingdom would not come immediately, but Jesus would establish his kingdom when he returns after a long time. And we're going to see that confirmed in some later parables that occur in Matthew as well, not just here in Matthew chapter number 13. So Jesus is making known things that have been kept secret, those mysteries of the kingdom. But he's only making them known to his apostles. He's not making them known to that generation of Israel that had rejected him. And of course, this is further illuminated by the explanation of the parable of the wheat and the tares, and that's what we begin with verse number 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Now, from this point forward, Jesus went into the house. So in other words, he's not going to address the crowd in, in parables anymore in this chapter. Um, he's talking with his apostles, with his disciples, with the twelve. So he's in the house, he's speaking with them privately, and they've asked him for an explanation of this parable. And in this explanation, we're going to once again see, and this was something we, I talked about last time as well, that when we think about the kingdom and we think about the descriptions of the kingdom from the Old Testament, we're going to see in this, in this description of this parable that all five of those aspects of the kingdom from the Old Testament that I referred to in the previous message. So I'll just point those out as we go along. Verse number 37, he answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So Jesus begins his explanation. Now the son of man, we've talked about a number of times, that title from, for, for the Messiah from Daniel chapter number 7, referring to the one who receives the kingdom from the ancient of days on his heavenly throne and comes with the clouds. So again, that's, we have all that tied in connection. We've, we've talked about that um, previously in our study here. So he begins explaining, he that sows a good seed, this is the son of man. Verse 38, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. So the, the field that he refers to, this is the world. And this is one of the aspects of the expected kingdom in the Old Testament, that it will be worldwide. It will not include only Israel, but also all the nations of the earth. And Psalm 2 uh, is one of those places. Daniel chapter number 2 is another one of those places. Uh, the, some of the early chapters in Isaiah and, and later chapters in Isaiah. So there's a number of places that, that speak of this kingdom as being a worldwide kingdom. And so we have this aspect in this parable concerning the kingdom that the, the field is the world. It's a worldwide concern. 
Now, the children of the kingdom are those who repent and believe, like the apostles. The tares, we're told, are the children of the devil. They are those whose minds are blinded. They reject Jesus. They reject the kingdom. Just that generation of Israel. And it is significant as we proceed in the explanation of the parable that those two, the children of the kingdom and the children of the devil, are coexisting in this age. And we'll see that again as we continue in this explanation. Verse 39. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world or the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. So the enemy, we're told, is Satan. And satanic opposition is one of those things that's thematic in the parables. That Satan is opposed to the coming kingdom. And, and again, we saw that in the parable of the sower. We're, we're seeing it here again. The harvest, that, that harvest, and remember, that's waited for. Harvests don't happen immediately. You don't, you don't plant one day and reap the harvest the next. Harvests are, are waited for. There's a, there's a time, space that comes between planting and reaping. Well, Jesus says plainly, this harvest that the landowner told them they would have to wait for to come is the end of the age. And that's what that word is translated world, and oftentimes it's translated world, but it, it is the word for age, and it is what it means. The end of the present age. Now, what is this present age? Well, this present age is the age of the nations um, that began actually with the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the southern kingdom of Israel to um, to Babylon and, and continues until it is to be fulfilled. Remember how Paul talked about that uh, in, in Romans chapter number 11, that, that there's been a blindness that has happened to Israel. They've been set aside temporarily as, as Gentiles are gathered in until that time be fulfilled. And then when that time is fulfilled, he says, then all Israel is going to be saved. So that is this age that is being referred to and that harvest pictures or or represents or refers to the end of this age the reapers he says are the angels who will gather and will separate the wheat and the tares and in the parable the harvest time again is what is waited for that's the passing of time and that's very significant because that means there's a delay in judgment. Remember the, the, the servants asked the landowner, do you want us to go and, and, and to, to root up these tares? And the landowner responds by saying, no, just let them be. And we'll have to, you know, when the harvest comes, they, they will be gathered and they will be burned. There's a delay in judgment. Even though Jesus, the promised Messiah, is standing there in flesh and blood with them. Now, what's so significant about that? Well, think back to the early part of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3 in particular, and the ministry of the forerunner, John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 3, what was it that John was preaching? Well, he preached repentance and so on. Yes, he introduced the Messiah But what else is is prominent in that message of John in Matthew chapter number 3? Judgment. He said, he's coming, his fan is in his hand. He's going to purge his floor. 
In other words, he's going to reap this harvest and he's going to gather his wheat into the barn and, the, and the, the chaff and everything else is going to be burned up in unquenchable fire. That's going to take place. That's what John preached. So now is being revealed that there's a delay in that judgment. Jesus is here, but that judgment's not coming yet. Think about later when John sent that question as he comes from prison. As John sent that question and Jesus responds, did Jesus tell John that judgment was about to come? No, he said, he said you know, the poor of the gospel preached to them, the blind see, all, all these other messianic signs, but he didn't say anything about, about coming judgment. And that's why John was asking that question. And later in Matthew 11, Jesus explained that John would have been Elijah if they would have received it. So the Old Testament prophesies of a forerunner of the Messiah and a forerunner of the day of the Lord. And it's easy to read that and think that that's all one event. And Jesus is showing us it's not one event. John is the forerunner of the Messiah who was prophesied to come, but he is not the forerunner of the day of the Lord who was also prophesied to come. He said, if you would have received it, he would have been Elijah. But they didn't receive it. So he wasn't Elijah. So that means that judgment is delayed and that judgment will not come until the return of Jesus Christ. Again, these are the mysteries of the kingdom. This age, this present age in which the kingdom has not come and judgment has not come but will come at the end of this age. So this shows another aspect of the kingdom, that the coming of the kingdom is supernatural. We see that again in Daniel 2, that stone that's cut out without hands. Let's continue this explanation. Verse 40, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world or this age. The wicked will be gathered and they will be delivered to hell at the end of the age. Another aspect of the kingdom, that it comes with judgment. Daniel chapter 7, verses 21 to 27. And again, why John the Baptist was asking that question. Verse 41, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. So Jesus will return to establish his kingdom on the earth, and all the sinful will be gathered out. Verse 42, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. They will be cast into hell. And this is before the final judgment at the great white throne. Again, this being another aspect of the kingdom that it comes suddenly when it comes. And we see that again in Daniel 2. We see it in places like Isaiah 46 and other places as well. Verse 43, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The righteous will be rewarded. So Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to gather up all of the unbelieving and they're going to be cast into hell. And he's going to take all of the believing, those alive at the time of, of his coming, 
He's going to take all of those believing and they're going to enter into his kingdom in physical earthly bodies. This is what he's talking about. The righteous will be rewarded. And this is the time when will be true what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 11. That even the least one that walks in his earthly body into the kingdom of the Messiah will be greater than John the Baptist in that day. Will be greater than him. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 11. Because they will be alive in their earthly bodies to enter the kingdom and be with Jesus on this earth. And again, another aspect that we see of that kingdom, and that is the reward for the faithful and believing. And in fact, the, the language here is very similar to Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, the righteous shining forth as the sun in the kingdom. So as we think about these parables, again, we have to keep in mind that they specifically reveal mysteries of the kingdom. Jesus has been plain about that as we look in the passage. So there's a time Again, between sowing and reaping. Those don't happen um, you know, just instantaneously. There's a time. And we find that, in fact, not only is there a time, there's an age. That's what Jesus says in the parable of the wheat and tares. There's an age that intervenes between the sowing and the reaping or the harvest. And so, again, the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus are going to be separated by an age, that age that we now inhabit. All of these parables also point to the fact that the first coming of Jesus has put events in motion that culminate in the kingdom on the earth. So think about these parables. When you plant seed in a ground... What happens? Well, you have put something into motion that's going to bear fruit later. You plant, and later it will grow and you're going to harvest. Just like the leaven in the bread. You, you put that little fermented lump in that dough, and something has been put into motion that's going to result in a leavened loaf of bread. So all, all, of these, all of these things are pointing to, all these parables we see are pointing to the fact that Jesus' first coming, there's going to be a delay. The kingdom is not coming right then. There's going to be a delay in its coming. But the fact of his coming is just like the sowing of the seed, the, the kneading of the leaven in the dough. And so the kingdom will come when Jesus returns, which, of course, can be at any time and will be sudden and will bring judgment. So when we think about how this um, speaks to us, well, it's, it's, it's a very sobering message. Understand that, that this will happen. This is coming and and all of those who are unbelieving and rejecting and non-repenting will be cast into the unquenchable fire will suffer 
judgment. And those that are believing will be rewarded and inherit the kingdom in one way or another. Again, depending on whether you live earthly to see that day or whether you would die before that time. Thank you.